Welcome to Taking the Lead, a podcast where top executives share their insights on leadership and talent development. I'm Susan Gallagher, President and CEO of BPI Group, and I'll be your host for this episode. BPI Group helps people and organizations develop and change to enhance their resilience and success. In this episode, we'll speak with Kevin McCarty, CEO of West Monroe Partners, and Susan Stelter, West Monroe's Chief People Officer. We'll focus on how their company identified its values early on, the importance of leader visibility, and of course, their approach to leadership. With that, let's get started. Kevin and Susan, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, it's great to be able to tell our story. Thanks for finding us and allowing us to talk today. Let's start by talking about West Monroe's origin story, which began at a lunch at Miller's Pub in downtown Chicago almost 20 years ago now. What do you both remember about that day? Well, given that it was 20 years ago, I'm surprised I remember anything. <laughs> uh, it was so implanted in our minds because it ended up being the foundation of West Monroe Partners, which I don't think at the time we realized, we just decided to meet there to chat because we wanted to discuss what was happening. And uh, so there was five of us that joined up after work and said, what are we gonna do? Arthur Anderson's melting down. Are we all gonna go our own ways? And or are we gonna try to keep the band together somehow? Cause we liked working with each other. We had a lot of fun at work. And uh, so we talked about the scary news that Arthur Anderson might not survive this thing. And if we were able to stay together, what would we do? So I remember it like it was yesterday. It was up the stairs. If you go into Miller's Pub, there's a stairway. We were at the first table at the top on the left. I remember the group that was with us. And uh, we started talking about what a shame it was, but what are we going to make of it? Do we see this as an opportunity to stay together? Later on, we found out we were able to make it happen to stay together. But at this time, it was pure conjecture and visionary statements about if we were going to stay together, what would we want? What would we want to be? And we said, wow, there's a lot of great things we've learned here at this fine firm that we worked at, which was Arthur Anderson, taught us a lot about mentoring and values and integrity and quality and a lot of those things that we ascribed to Arthur Anderson good mentoring we wanted to keep around. But then there were some things we said, boy, if we ran our own firm, these are some things we would do different. We would fix them. And that led to us pulling out a napkin. Probably was it Miller's Pub napkin or a generic. I don't know if it said Miller's Pub on it or not. We pulled out a pen and started shouting out words. And before we knew it, we had 12 things written down on a napkin, on the bar napkin, about what type of firm we would want to build if we were going to try to stay together. What seems remarkable to me is that it wasn't planned and it was aspirational and you came up with how many values? We had 12 values at the time. We have 13 today, um, meaning we added one over, over the course of time. But um, I think to your point, it was aspirational. It was also uncertain. I think Kevin talked about that fact. And of course, Susie, our lineage is similar. You were there too. This idea that a place that we loved was sort of ending and, and more quickly than we had planned. And it kind of forces you into, so what do you want to do next, right? And so as Kevin mentioned, it was sort of like, if we're going to do this, what do we want to be? And so we really wrote down kind of what do we want to be about? What are the values that we would have? And so it came up sort of with 12 values literally on the back of a napkin and we really talked about what was important to us and if we were going to do this in the future and a couple of things that really came out on that if you look at our website we have sort of kind of this 
image of kind of what that napkin looked like. And you'll see a couple things that are really important. One was really people first, the idea that if we're going to create a firm, we're going to do it with the idea of people front and center. Obviously, in the client service business, sometimes that feels a little bit odd to say, why not clients first? And our belief really was, if you grow people, treat them well, they're going to make all the right decisions for your clients that will create great client service. And the second was really to be employee-owned, this idea of this is ours, not someone else's, and it's going to take every single person to grow something from the ground up was really important for us. And so we did start West Monroe Partners. It wound up being five of us who sat around the table and then decided to start the firm. No clients, no business, but this list of values and this idea that we wanted to continue to work together and make something that was great. But some of the things that were really important to us was the concept of fun, right? And sometimes we forget that, right? And not in the fun, like, ha-ha, blow it off sort of fun, but in the, I want to do really challenging work with really great people, and I want to have a lot of fun and working shoulder to shoulder with them. And that's really the foundation, I think, of who we are as West Rome Partners. It's been a place that really focuses on our people their development, and this idea that if we're all working together, working all together with our clients, for our clients, and for our firm, great things will happen. I think that's why we're still here 17 years later. That's an amazing story. So you had 12 values. You've added one. Can everybody recite them all? (laughs) <laughs> when we have new hires, Kevin has a process he walks them through. You might want to share that story. We obviously share our values with uh, as a first slide in any deck that we share with a partner, a potential alliance partner, or our new hires. Whether it's interns or off campus, they get indoctrinated into the values as one of the initial slides we show. And then when you're a partner or a director, in order to be a partner at West Monroe and get the magical pin, you have to be able to recite all 13 values in a row to me. I reward them with a little pin. It's a West Monroe pin, and directors are eligible to receive that if they can recite all 13. As if 12 values wasn't enough, we added the 13th value, which is social responsibility. We added that about six years ago due to popular demand from the values of today's professionals and youth. When they join an organization, they want to know what stands for something besides just making money. And so our people actually told us, and it came up through the executive team, that our people had crowdsourced this idea that we're missing a value. So we added social responsibility, and uh, it was the best move we did to add a 13th value to an already crowded napkin. As much as it's important to be able to recite them or see them on the website, I think it's more important of how it shows up in our culture. And I think if you talk to anyone in our four walls or anyone who comes in there, they'll say, oh, people talk about culture, but it's really real here. Like, we can feel it. You can feel the energy that it creates. You can see it in terms of how we treat our people. And our commitment to really growing people is front and center. We've grown people from intern all the way to partners, director, as Kevin said. And so I think it's how it shows up every day and how that really contributes to the culture of the organization. I think we've talked about the fact that I have said that when I walk through your doors. It is very palpable. It's real in the organization. Let's turn the focus a little bit. I think it's a pretty rare opportunity to actually create your values before you start the company. Has that helped you develop the company? Has that driven success in a unique way than others who maybe are trying to find their values today after the company's been around for a while? Absolutely, would be my answer, right? I think anyone who's worked in an organization, if you try to change your culture, that's a really difficult thing to do. And I think our values are the foundation of our culture and this idea that people are are at the center of it, the idea that every single person owns it, creates a different kind of energy and a different kind of commitment to come in every day and work 
long hours, hard hours, and do what's best for our clients because we're all in it together. So I think it literally is the foundation of what has become for us our real differentiator, which is our culture. And you're right, Susie. I think it is unique to be able to start with that instead of what most people start with, which is a business plan or an idea. And everybody goes to the and downloads a template, say, how do I create a business plan? Or you Google business plan template, and they start with a business plan. And a lot of those templates talk about who your customers are, what your product or service is going to be, what your differentiators are going to be, who you're going to sell this product or service to. And it talks about financials. How much can you invest? And we didn't start with any of that. We literally joked at Miller's Pub when we wrote these values that we didn't know if we were going to be flipping burgers or making pizzas or running a bar of our own. But we knew that whatever the business model ended up being didn't matter. It was secondary to the values. Once you have the values, then you find out are the people around the table willing to subscribe to those values. It's the proverbial get the people on the bus and then figure out where the bus is going. Once you have the right people on the bus and you got the right personalities, the right skill sets, the right diversity of experience, then you figure out where the bus is headed. And that's kind of what we did. We got the right people on the bus and all signed up to the right set of core values. And then we figured out, oh, we're actually going to be in the business and IT consulting business. And so we put the pizza idea and the bar idea aside. So let's take that the next step to something very connected, but a little bit different leadership. You're on the inside of a lot of companies, and you see the inner workings of a lot of companies, large and small, and have a perspective. How does leadership at West Monroe differ from some of the others that you've seen? Yeah. We created our definition of leadership, and it's actually built into all of our career models and all of our assessment models. And and so to take our 13 and kind of boil it down to some some very simple aspects of what does it mean to be a leader at Westmore Partners. One, committed to extraordinary results. You can't grow something from the ground up unless every single person is committed to great results, not just for the business, but also for our clients. Second, you have to be credible, right? If you're in the client service business, no one's hiring you unless you're bringing the best of your expertise, your best practices, and your experiences to the table. So I call those kind of table stakes. I think maybe where ours differ a little bit is this idea of collaboration. I think if you walk into our hallways, you see it and feel it. We expect every single person to be highly collaborative. That means collaborative with their partners. This is not a lone wolf sport. This is a team sport. Collaborative with our people, meaning whatever age or level you are, we want to hear your voice. We want to work with you and with our clients. We're not performing client service to you, which sometimes happens in our industry. We're doing it with you, and we want to leave you in a better place than when we got there. Last is really being conscious of our greater purpose and mission. And for us, that's really building the next generation of leaders. Every single person who comes into Westmore Partners is responsible for teaching. And we are growing the next generation of leaders, and we are learning from our our next generation of leaders that's coming forward. So it's really important to us. And then the next thing is not just defining it, but also making sure that it shows up every day. And so how does that happen? Comes everything from when we go to hire people, right? Who do we choose to bring in? If you want to be a Lone Ranger, an individual contributor, West Monroe is not the place for you. And if you are not willing to be a teacher and willing to be taught sometimes by someone who's junior to you, this is probably not the place for you. And then we also measure it. We ask people to weigh in on how good of leaders we are. So we get upward feedback from everyone in the organization. And we ask all of our leaders to give collaboration feedback to one another. How well are we collaborating? And that's part of their annual review, and it's weighted just as heavily as their revenue contribution. And then we reward it. So one of the highest honors for us in the firm is getting a leadership award on an annual basis. It's called the Sequoia Award, which actually has roots and memories back from our Anderson days. This idea that you're giving roots to people and you're helping them grow, and that helps grow the organization.
leveraging the Sequoia Award from Anderson was uh, unabashedly stolen. <laughs> the same thing as the West Monroe name came from 33 West Monroe or Arthur Anderson's headquarters. So like we said earlier, we took the best things that that firm taught us, and Sequoia was one of the best things that the firm taught us about, which is mentoring at its highest level and rooted out some of the things that we didn't like where the partners retained all the ownership and the capital. So that's why we're 100% employee-owned. So every single employee owns part of the business, and that's part of that leadership thing. We believe leaders can be leaders at any level, and they're rewarded not just with the ability to feel like a leader, but with equity in the firm. We treat all of our people as owners and leaders. And the NGL program, that Next Generation Leaders program, has a lot of different tools and methods around it so it shows up every day. I mean, that's, that's not curriculum and training. It's meritocracy, pushing people into stretch roles. We have a chief's program where all of our, we have a lot of millennials. I think, what, 75% of our population of employees are of the millennial generation. And um, we're very proud of that. And we believe that the millennials have a lot of great ideas and they have a lot of esprit de corps. And if you allow them to do things in an empowered way, they will surprise you daily. So we have a chief's program. We have about 50 chiefs around the firm. And this is because there's one C chief people officer, that's Susan. There's one CEO that happens to be me. There's one CFO, but anybody can be a CXO of something. So we have a lot of chiefs, which are people that are honing their leadership skills. You have to develop a plan, you have to develop a budget, you have to get followership and people to subscribe to what it is your initiative is all about. So we have chief health and wellness officers, we have chief recycling officers and green earth officers, we have chief charity officers. There's a lot of different CXOs and the millennial, they hold all those positions across the firm. So that's NGL in action, allowing them to own something, not just be a billable resource at clients, but actually own a mini business with inside West Monroe Partners. And uh, they thrive with that. And that's part of culture as well, that when you have engaged employees, it's a force multiplier. It's an amazing story. And it's making me think of fear of more traditional organizations of losing control. It doesn't sound like I haven't heard you say that any element of control becomes a value at West Monroe Partners. It's more about ownership and creativity. You've also spoken, I've heard you in the past speak about visibility and leadership. How does that play into how you lead your own personal visibility with your company, staff, employees? We're highly visible, available, transparent with our people, not only because they're employee owners and they deserve to be in the know, but we believe it's just the right thing to do, to be transparent with the employee base and be accessible, open door policy. You know, I meet with the new hire groups, whether they're experienced hires, I greet them and tell them to tell me what we did well in the recruiting process and, and what we need to fix in the recruit. Now that they've been at the firm for like 90 days, you know, tell me, did we live up to the promise? that you learned about and read about during the recruiting process. I meet with the interns. Last week I was interviewed by two interns that contacted my assistant to get on my calendar and they each got 30 minutes on my calendar to interview me about how do I choose consulting versus something else? I'm thinking about doing a startup, you know, talk to me about do you have any words of wisdom for me? And I met with, you know, so accessibility is a big deal. 
we have four o'clock rocks where once a month every office closes early on a Friday and the leadership team mingles with everybody to make sure that they're getting that visibility and accessibility to leadership. We share all of our information financially and strategically with every single employee. So every employee knows strategically where we're going and why and financially how we're doing and why even down to the bonus pool. They know if the bonus pool has been funded or unfunded every month. They know how much money's in the bonus pool. That was another thing at the firm we all came from. We had no idea if a bonus was coming or not. Are we having a good year, a bad year, immediate? We had no idea. We were absolutely clueless. And we believe an engaged employee base is one that can make a difference if they know. If you allow them to know the health of the, they know how much debt we have on the, you know, our people know everything in a very, very transparent, accessible and visible way. Access to leadership, access to the strategy, access to the financials. The only thing we don't share is compensation, but that's all on online anyway, right? <laughs> Glassdoor <laughs> handles that for you. That's right. Yeah. right. So, but uh, we share everything uh, with our people and they reward us with high levels of employee engagement. And they believe if we're having a bad month or a bad quarter and they know about it, they can do something about it as opposed to leaving them in the dark. Uh, they'll try harder, they'll work hard, they'll say, what can I do? How can I help? And I think that's the benefits of visibility for everybody. Sure, and Susan, you've spoken about visibility as well and even your title was impacted by that. Yeah, my title is Chief People Officer. Normally, in, in my neck of the woods, it would be Chief HR Officer, and I think we don't look at our people as human resources, right? They're not a resource. They're our employees, and we're people-first organization, and they are the things we should be thinking about every day is in terms of how do we make this a great place to work together. And I think to your point earlier, Kevin hit on it, this idea of accessibility, visibility, transparency. Part of the reason control isn't necessarily something that we have to worry about is because when you provide that kind of visibility and when you say we're partners in growing this, this is your firm and my firm, I'm going to help you grow your career and together we are going to grow the firm, people start to make those choices that I would want them to make, they're going to make those choices. And you'll hear our people say, I had to take a flight out, but I made the right decision as employee owner. I'm taking the one later on today because it's a little bit cheaper. Or I'm staying at this hotel because it's a little bit cheaper. Not, not because I'm forcing them to, they start making the right decisions. So I think that's the manifestation of being people first and being transparent. People will rise and make the right choices. Yeah, we're 1,400 people today. And you would think that that would be chaos, right? Not allowing people to make these choices, being allowing folks that are earlier in their careers take on empowered decision-making. But if they know the strategy and they know the employee ownership matters and they know the financial situation and the health or not of the firm, they'll act accordingly. And I think that's important for them to be able to feel like employee owners. They can make a difference. You've experienced tremendous and successful growth over the last couple of years, and yet you've still been able to maintain this communication, leadership philosophy, and visibility with all these new incoming folks. Have you noticed any challenges or potentially addressed some of the challenges with a lot of new people joining at one time? How do you maintain that focus, culture, visibility that's so important to the core of the firm? One of the challenges is you have to learn through what we call norms. Norms are these things that people figure out from their colleagues. They figure out what's the norm around travel. 
with regard to time of day or cost of flight or do I check a bag or, you know, all the interns learn right away. You never check a bag if you're a consultant, right? <laughs> and when they do, they realize that norm really quick. So a lot of it isn't written down. That's a challenge at scale, right? So we're starting to codify some of these norms and what we call operating defaults. So it's not, these aren't rules, because Susan said, and I wholeheartedly agree that rules and policy starts to creep into the world of what I can and can't do and bureaucracy. We want people to make professional decisions like adults and as employee owners would. So we really want them to be empowered to make decisions if they understand the strategy and the financial health of the firm and, and what the norms are. And if you violate a norm, you'll hear about it from your colleagues because that's culture, right? Culture keeps you out of the ditch when you uh, make decisions that are inconsistent with your culture or your norms. You'll get called out on it by your colleagues. I think having that set of defaults and norms in a loose way allows people to say, okay, I understand what the guidelines are and I can work within those guidelines, but they're not rules and policies which can be chaotic at 1,400 people when there's no hard, fast rule. I think our employee manual is probably just a few pages. It's not some massive document you have to read. It's We want people to act like professionals, and by and large, if you treat them the way they want to be treated and you empower them, and uh, as opposed to f try to fix them or tell them what they're doing wrong or how to do things specifically, they thrive. You're right, it does get harder as you get bigger, right? When you're 100 people, you can get everyone in a room, you can have that conversation. You can't do that anymore, right? So you do have to get more discipline in terms of the levels of communication and in providing different opportunities for that communication. So as Kevin said, he's got an open door policy and we can come in any time. 1,200 people aren't going to be able to come in all the time, right? So you also create opportunities. So we do a lot to make sure we get around to the offices to be at their quarterly meetings. You'll find different C-level leaders and office leaders hosting breakfast with leadership with a couple different people. So they get a smaller group together. They may do an invite for the most recently hired folks. Kevin and I will leave here today. We're going to go to our new consultants who just got hired, and we'll do a panel with them and allow them to ask us questions. So part of it is creating an environment by which people are willing to bring those questions forward in, in a world where social media seems to take over, right? You have to work really hard at making sure they know there's a two-way communication channel. So it does take work and it does take effort. And we try to do it in a way that's not structured in terms of roles and allows you to still think about what you think is the right answer, but also create an environment by which you you know that you have the ability to, to have your voice heard. It ultimately leads to trust. It's not a leadership and management and the employees that are skeptical of each other. Right? This creates a, a bond and a trust where we don't really have you know, a lot of dissension between the management and leadership layers and the non-director group. It creates a, we're in this together, we're sharing with you everything we know strategically and financially, and we're empowering you to make decisions and act like adults and do what you think is right. And that creates a bilateral trust between leadership and management and all the employees that I think allows you to go fast. There's a book that uh, Stephen Covey Jr. wrote that's called The Speed of Trust, right? And if you have trust, you can go fast. If you don't have trust, you're second-guessing people, you're skeptical of their motivations, you're wondering why they're telling you something or showing you something. We don't have that. When you have ultimate transparency and a great relationship with intimacy between all employees and a culture that encourages collaboration and intimacy and having fun and leads to that trust. And then you can grow fast, you can make quick decisions, you can empower a subset of people to make decisions on behalf of the greater good. 
because you trust that they're going to do the right thing to the best of their ability. They're going to make the right decision uh, that they can. That level, that true communication level, seems to drive significant success. And it's what we've been hearing in all the components of that, that word sometimes gets over simplified when it really is a deep level. And it sounds like you've addressed several levels of communication to make sure it's true and and honest communication. You're also tapping into the individual genius of your people. And you talked about the 13th value that came out of that, allowing those new ideas and good ideas to bubble up. Is there another idea that's come to mind that came from somewhere in the guts of the organization that has been meaningful to your success? Oh, we do all sorts of programs and things that they dream up. We do hackathons, you know, where the tech practice decided that they wanted to host. And, and so now in our cities that we have offices, we'll host even competitors come because they heard about how fun these hackathons are and they'll, they'll come and join them. And our employees put these things on. They don't really ask permission. They just do it. So we'll order a bunch of food and and open up our offices and our, our big conference, our training centers, and, and do the hackathons there. And so that's an example of something that was sponsored not by top-down leadership saying, hey, I got a great idea. Will the employees embrace that idea and execute it? No, this is bottom-up idea generation, and they're empowered to run with it. And that's just one example. In terms of the ideas that people bring forward, we try to allow them the space to sort of bring forward what's most important to them. Our campus recruiting, although we have a whole campus recruiting department, each one of the campuses has a line person who's sort of in charge who probably went to that school. And they'll talk about, here's the places you got to go. Here's the programs you got to look at. So they're co-collaborating with us on just about everything. Similar with the social responsibility, they brought the idea forward, but they're also helping us figure out how we deploy some of our resources. So we have sort of a one-one-one program, 1% of our time, 1% of our talent, 1% of our treasure. And so one of the ways that we raise money is on Fridays, we have sort of a jeans bucket or a casual wear bucket. And so if you want to, you can contribute to the charity of choice. They're fielding who those charities are and bringing them forward. This has been a fantastic discussion and learning more about how you're driving this incredible success at West Monroe. Let's circle back to 2002 and when you walked out of the Miller's Pub, is there anything that you both might have done differently knowing what you know today? Yeah, I think if we were smart enough, we probably would have kept that napkin. We've, we've been asked the question many a time, like, do you have a napkin? And we're always like, no. Had we known we were going to be here almost 20 years later, we definitely would have kept it. But we do have a room in the Chicago office anyway. It's called the Evolution Room. We have our first invoice on the wall framed. We have our first three checks that we ever received from our clients. And we have the first three checks that we wrote as payroll. Because you know, we only paid people when we got paid by our clients. And we had no funding. We bootstrapped the whole business. So we never got venture capital or private equity and to this day, we own 100% of the firm, and we're glad we did that. And this room called the Evolution Room is dedicated to that. Fantastic. So can you give us a preview? You've had your 15-year anniversary. You're almost at 20. What does your 25-year anniversary look like? Um, I haven't worked out the numbers. Uh, Kevin's usually the numbers guy who always has <laughs> who always has that number, but I'll let him answer the number question. But I think our hope is that we're able to fill a really big ballroom with every single person that works for us and that the things that are on the napkin are still part of our DNA. 
every day. Yeah, and numbers-wise, we're 1,400 today. We we have a line of sight if we continue to grow at the, or even less than the rates that we have been growing. So let's just say we grow 20% a year instead of 30% a year, which is what our track record is. We'll double our workforce in the next uh, three, four years. And uh, so I think, you know, we could be a much larger firm as far as headcount and employee owners and a much larger firm on revenue, probably triple the size in the timeline that you mentioned. So we're, we, yeah, the future's bright, we're excited, but we never declare victory. Uh, we never try to hit those numbers. If that's your goal, you know, if you financially engineer or strategically engineer for something, but don't have the right ingredients, it's gonna be a, a hollow victory if you even get there. I think if you have the right ingredients and the right recipe, that those numbers become an outcome they become the result, not the input. So I would imagine if the recipe keeps working the way it works, those numbers that I mentioned earlier, those estimates will probably just be the outcome. Well, Kevin and Susan, that certainly sounds like a recipe for success. And for those of you who want to see the original 12 values, go to WMP.com, West Monroe Partners website. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and your success story with us today. It was fun to tell our story. Thanks for the opportunity. Thank you. Taking the Lead is a production of BPI Group, and the views expressed are those of the host and guests. For more information, please visit bpi-group.us. Music for this podcast is courtesy of Jazzar.